You are listening to the official Acts 2 podcast. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.acts2orlando.com. Good morning. How you doing, beautiful faces? Look at your neighbor. Tell them they're beautiful. Thanks. You like my shoes? What color are they? <laughs> That's right. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. Right? <laughs> I disappear. I want to do that one day. I do want to translate. I want to do that. Like Philip, preaching to the Ethiopian eunuch. Thank you, sir. And just gets taken away. I'm like, that would be the most awesome thing ever. That and being able to float. Yep. I don't know, you guys, I get really jazzed when I read about uh, some of the early revivalists and the strange things that happened. And I don't know, signs and wonders, right? Some of those dudes back in the 1700s would be preaching and they'd start levitating off the ground. You're like, ooh, that's weird. Yeah, I know, it's weird. But, you know, God's got the market cornered on weird, okay? (laughs) It's so funny to me growing up in the church how people would attribute wonders and signs to the demonic when all he can do is is counterfeit god's got the market cornered on weird just read your old testament he's got it cornered on weird the strangest things can happen who was the dude who was the prophet got yanked up by his hair uh ezekiel yeah gets yanked up by his hair like taken up picked up i mean i don't know sounds a little uncomfortable but weird you know i don't know so all right i want to talk about this morning um Jocelyn and I were sitting down, and our team has been talking over the last uh, few weeks about where we're headed uh, into 2020. And I know we're just in the middle of September, but we're already talking about that, and I'm getting pretty jazzed about where we're going. Um, We're going to be doing some unpacking some stuff um, and spending really the rest of this year kind of walking through it unto uh, end of January, 1st of February, launching something. I'm not telling you what it is just yet, but it's going to be fantastic. Um, It's really geared around helping people find their destiny and their calling and beginning to walk in it. I really feel like what God's given us in this is a a really, really good model uh, to really see disciples made and people walk in their destiny. Does it sound good to you guys? So I want to start by priming the pump a little bit today and talk about you. Yeah, I'm going to talk about Jesus in you. And what it means to be a believer in Jesus and how everything changed at the cross. So, can we do that? Everybody in here is significant, right? Yes. Everybody in here is significant. Now, when I make statements like that, everybody will say yes, they'll agree. But a lot of times, they agree with the fact that somebody else in the room is significant, that I'm not significant. We see ourselves sometimes in the wrong light, and we don't uh, really give God credit for depositing things in us that are world-changing. Is anybody in here a world-changer? Yep, that's right. Everybody in this room is a world-changer. So I'm going to start by telling you this story. In the mid-1800s, there was a man named Edward Kimball. Anybody ever heard the name? You know who he is? Good. A few people do. Anybody else? I got two hands. Most people don't know who he is. Edward Kimball. He was a Sunday school teacher. Now, 
I don't know about you, but when you think about Sunday school, it's not like, this isn't like major platform big ministry, right? It's in a small room, you're teaching somebody. But Edward Kimball felt a passion to do this, felt a calling to do it. And um, during his tenure as teaching as a Sunday school teacher, this young man, 17, 18 years old, shows up in the city and is required to go to this church because of a job that he took with his uncle. And he got the job with his uncle, but his uncle was a devout believer and said, you can have this job with me, but you have to go to Sunday school. He didn't really want to have anything to do with it, but he went anyway. And this guy, Edward Kimball, kept preaching the gospel to him, showing him the love of Jesus. And at some level, discerned, could tell that there was something on this kid's life, even though he really didn't want to have anything to do with God. Um, and said, you know what, I'm taking it a step further. I'm going to show up at his work, and I'm going to preach the gospel to him. I feel like he needs this. So he did. He shows up at the shoe store, preaches the gospel to this guy, and it radically changes his life. But Edward, Edward Kimball looked at him and was like, I see something about him, but when I look at him in the natural, there's like nothing about him that would really make me want to go, this guy's going to wreck the kingdom and be a, a world changer. He actually said this about this young boy. I can truly say, and in saying it, magnify the infinite grace of God that is bestowed upon him, that I have seen few persons whose minds were spiritually darker than was his when he came into my Sunday school class. And I think that the committee of the Mount Vernon Church seldom met an applicant for membership more unlikely ever to become a Christian of clear and decided views of the gospel truth, still less to fill any extended sphere of public usefulness. This is a Sunday school teacher who nobody really knows about but felt the compulsion to bring the gospel to an individual, and that individual was D.L. Moody. We all know who D.L. Moody is. Millions of souls saved. School still lives in Chicago right now. Moody Institute. Still going. Just training, 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 and teaching people. Early in his ministry, he finds a, an empty bar and takes over, talks to the mayor of the city and says, this is what I want to do with the young kids, start bringing them in. And the mayor's like, all right, we'll give this to you for free. Just start doing this because he knew he was going to be making a change in the city. And he did, undoubtedly. But it was Edward Kimball who felt the compulsion, felt the need, felt the, the individual mandate on his life to bring the gospel to an individual that he thought would never, ever do anything for the kingdom. Without an Edward Kimball, we don't have a D.L. Moody. I love stories like this. You see where we're going this morning, that there's no such thing as insignificance in the body of Christ. I remember hearing of another major world changer who never would have heard the gospel, but he was an organ repairman. And he got called in to do a repair on an organ during the middle of a woman's meeting. He was the only man there, and he's there working. He heard the gospel, and he ends up becoming a, a major world changer. That's, this is, and the person speaking there, nobody knows who it is. I'm just suggesting this morning that there are things that you and I can walk in that may not have an impact in what you may see as platform ministry, worldwide ministry, you know, all this kind of stuff, but you may be the person that brings somebody to a knowledge of Jesus Christ that they themselves become that person. Now, I don't know about you, but I settled this long ago. When I started ministry back in, as a pastor, pastoring a church back in 2005, 
I remember this. I remember this thing that all pastors go through. Do we have any pastors, retired pastors, former pastors in the room? We see, let's see hands. We got a couple over there. All right. Sometimes there's more than that. But I, here's the reality. If you were to ask any pastor to be honest with you, they would say this, that when they start a church, they want it to grow and get really big. And I remember going through that. I remember going through this thing of wondering how many people are in the room each Sunday when I show up. Are we growing? And I remember Holy Spirit speaking to me back in 2005, and he said this to me. He said, Andrew, would you be okay if nobody ever knows your name, but you go ahead and preach the gospel, and it could be that your children or maybe their children, your, their children's children, maybe it's them who end up being the world changer with a big name. Are you okay with that? And I felt that when I heard that from Holy Spirit, and I was like, yes, settled. Settled. I don't care. I, all I want to do is be about presenting the gospel, being who I am, and doing what God has called me to be. What I want to do this morning is encourage you that you may have that kind of role in somebody else's life. So we're going to start with this passage right here. This is going to be a passage you're going to hear a lot in the coming year. Ephesians 2.20. Let's read this one together. You are rising like the perfectly fitted stones of the temple. And your lives are being built up together upon the ideal foundation laid by the apostles and prophets. And best of all, you are connected to the head, the cornerstone of the building, the anointed one, Jesus Christ himself. Fitted stones in the temple. It's not the one stone, it's the multiple stones that bring it together. Amen? What I'm interested in is everybody finding their fit and recognizing that you have significance where you are. It's, it's sad to see, but it's almost like we tend to compare ourselves in whatever industry that we're in. We compare ourselves with somebody who's better off than us. Don't we do that? As a pastor, you see it. Well, this guy's got a bigger ministry. He draws a bigger crowd. That's the thing. It may be different for you, whatever you work in, whatever your industry is. But to recognize that we as the body of Christ are stones that are coming together, and all of us have our place. And without them coming together, we don't have the fullness. We don't have the representation of God. Everybody has their place. And there's four beliefs. I remember going through this a couple of years ago, looking at stuff and coming down to it and going, what are our core beliefs here that I have? Here they are. We, there are a lot of them are in our declarations that we do. Are you ready? Here's four bedrock beliefs that I will live for that I just don't change. Number one is this. There's nothing impossible with God. Can we get an amen? Yes. Nothing is impossible with God. Amen. Can I get another amen on that? Nothing is impossible with God. Yes. Number two. God is good. God is good. We have no idea how good he really is. You take your idea of how good you think God is and then multiply it by 100 million, and you might start getting close to how good God is. This is how good he is. He's so good. Number three, everything was accomplished at the cross. You hear this one out of me all the time. I'm a, kind of a one-string guitar keep playing the same note. Everything was accomplished at the cross, and the rest of our natural-born lives, we will spend trying to understand that, that it was accomplished at the cross. And number four, the one I want to talk about today is every individual is significant. Every individual is significant. Everyone in the body of Christ is significant. Once you discover who God has made you to be, you're never going to want to be anybody else. This is the big challenge we face in the church. Are you with me this morning? We have people wandering around who are suffering from identity theft. They don't know who they are. 
They got ripped off, and they don't know who they are anymore, so they're wandering around trying to be somebody that they're not designed to be. Once you discover who God has made you to be, you're never going to want to be anybody else. Listen, I'm not saying this from a place that I've got this figured out. I'm still having to remind myself and come back to this, that there's a uniqueness about me that is only going to be brought out in the fullness of God if I can settle the issue in my own heart. And I don't know, I'm, I hope I'm not the only one here who vacillates in and out of this, right? Please tell me, somebody help me in the room this morning. I'm not the only one that deals with this. Thank you, Eddie, over there. Thank you that we deal with this. That when, we when we discover who we are and we settle it, it changes how we view the world. Do you guys understand what I'm talking about? Have you ever had something happen in your life where you have some kind of encounter with God, Holy Spirit speaks to you in such a way that you recognize something in that moment. You just recognize something and go, this is what I'm made for. This is what I'm designed for. I don't fully understand it, but there's something about what's happening right now that is like, this really makes me come alive. For me, it's seeing transformation. I love seeing transformation in people. I love watching God show up and just move in people's lives and do things that I could never communicate. But he shows up, does something, touches somebody's heart, touches somebody's life in such a way that it radically changes the way they think, the way they see, their worldview changes because they find out who he is and they find out who they are. There's this little thing, though, that keeps us held down. It's called religion. I don't just think religion is bad. I think it's boring. I think it's cruel even. Here's how you know if you're walking in religion. When life becomes about you and what you must do, it's religion. When life becomes about you and what you must do, it's religion. But the heart that's set on what Christ has done and our response to that, that's life. He says, I came that you might have life and have life more abundantly. So in other words, the source comes from him. It's not in what I do that I find my life source. It's in what he has done I find my life source. Thank God we've been brought in by his work and not ours. Can somebody say amen to that? There's this thing that happens when you read the word of God that you start to recognize there's a pattern that reveals his, his character. It reveals his nature. And it's this. In redemption, we are restored to an identity that's greater than before the fall. In redemption, we are stored to an identity that is greater than before the fall. How do I know this? Look at Solomon's temple. When it was destroyed and rebuilt, what happened? It was built to twice its glory. What happened to Job whenever things were taken away from him? Twice came back to him. What do we, what do we see when we see things like this? That whenever there's catastrophe, whenever there's pain, wherever there's hurt, wherever there's things that have, we've been ripped off in our life, it's the character and nature of God to restore it, not just restore it once, but restore it twice. Can somebody say amen to that? This is the design of God. So I'm still trying to figure this out and recognize that I know I have a calling on my life. I know I've had things in my life that have held me up, that have kicked me down. All, all this stuff has happened, circumstances in life. But I'm still trying to figure out if it's twice as good as what I think it is, then, man, I haven't even reached that yet. I want to reach that. I want to find it. Did you know that the enemy is lying to every person in this room? Yep. What? You mean I'm listening to the devil? You might be listening to the devil more than you think. But the, res but the uh, answer to it is not to go after the devil. The answer is to start listening to the right voice. I'm a firm believer in this. That there's, Don't get me wrong here. I don't mean to pick on ministries and stuff like that. There are, there are people who write books and do ministries all about hearing the voice of God. 
I don't think there are keys to hearing the voice of God. I really don't. I think that we try to build principles and the keys to hearing the voice of God. I don't really think it works that way. I think that we're designed by our creator to hear his voice. The problem is, is we have too much competition going on. We've got to learn how to not hear the other voices. It's not about keys to hearing his voice. You're naturally designed, created in his image. You're going to hear his voice. It's just a matter of removing all the other ones in order to hear it. Come on, are you with me this morning? There's something about stillness and meditation where you just get alone, you get quiet. You just push everything out and you learn to discern what he's really saying over top of everything else. I heard someone say one time when they pray, and this may help you, this was really helpful to me. I'll use my little notepad on my phone for this. Has this happened to anybody where you go sit down, you want to get alone time with God and you go to pray, you go to read your Bible or something and all this stuff just starts going through your mind? Right? It's almost like it's not going through your mind until you sit down and you want to spend time with God. All of a sudden, this world starts to happen. And I heard such a great approach to how you deal with that, and I love this. I heard someone say, why don't you just thank God that Holy Spirit is reminding you of the things that you need to know? And then take out a notepad and write those things down. That way you can put those things to the side. Come on, that's a good answer, isn't it? Just write it down, put it to the side, and recognize, okay, those are good. That's Holy Spirit just bringing things back to me that I need to know right now. But I've got those. I'll write those down, put those to the side. Now, Holy Spirit, just begin to speak to me. Begin to talk to me. There's something about conditioning ourselves to understand what is the competing voice and what is the real voice. And I think we have a lot of the church, a lot of us wandering around. What we do, gosh, man, I I feel this thing. I'm going to start stepping on toes again. We run around from conference to conference to conference to ministry to ministry to ministry, looking for someone to lay hands on us, looking for the anointed man of God instead of finding the God of the anointed man in order to hear God instead of going, I can hear him. I really can hear him. And a lot of times what we need is just to be able to move back from the hustle and bustle of platform ministry and podcasts and vlogs and videos and YouTube and all that just to sit down and listen long enough to what he's saying. I promise you this. When you hear him talk to you specifically, you're going to hear something completely different. And it's going to mean a whole lot more. Are you with me this morning? I can glean things from others, and we need it. It's part of the body of Christ. It's, probably, it's part of recognizing the anointing on another individual, and we glean from that. But there are things that I need personally, that I need God to speak to me personally about. And until we have that kind of culture, until we have that kind of atmosphere where it makes the shift, where it's not about going to a meeting in order to hear God, where we learn how to be able to hear God on our own, we're going to walk around with a world and a church full of people who feel they're insignificant because they haven't heard that voice speak to them personally. I know when I got radically transformed in 99, my heart craved him because he touched me enough to know that that's what I want. This is what I want. And I remember sitting in times in my closet I used to do this thing where I would get into the closet and I would literally take a blanket and I would get on my face, take a blanket and throw it over my head. Jocelyn knew if I was under that thing, just don't mess with me. It's weird, I know. It was just a thing that I did. I would actually get in a closet and get like fetal position face down and put a blanket over my head, over my whole body. Why? Because I'm craving that voice. 
I'm craving that sound. I'm craving that touch. And until we as individuals come to the place where we can start to hear that, we're going to rely on somebody else to speak to us. And I don't know. It's, it's great. I love the church. I hope you're understanding me and hearing me this morning. But there's something about hearing his voice that moves us on the inside, that speaks to us deeply. There were things that I needed to know from God in 99. It was a radical transformation, but there were things that I needed to know from God. I needed to hear him speak to me about things that he understood about me that I didn't understand about me. Do you know what I'm saying? I needed him to speak to me and say, Andrew, here's your boundaries. Here's where you live. I was craving that. I was craving, crying out to God saying, I don't ever want to go back to those things that I lived in before. I don't ever want to go back. And as I cried out to him and I started listening to him, he started telling me the strangest things. But they were things that he knew about me that I didn't even know about me yet. And as I started to hear those things, I started to walk in those things still without the understanding, but the understanding came later. Because I would hear his voice, and all I knew was when I hear him talk, when he talks to me, it means something inside here. It's not just good advice from somewhere else. It's not just a good idea from another man. It was a God idea from himself. And it came from him, and it started to speak to the inside of me, and I would listen to it, and I'd be like, okay, this doesn't make any sense to me, but if this is what you're telling me how I live, this is how I'm going to live. And I would start living like that. And all of a sudden, I would start to recognize, oh, my gosh, there's things I'm starting to discover. Are you guys still tracking with me? I don't mean to be so vague. There's just no point in me going and telling you what they were right now. It was just those things that were very specific in my life to do these things and not do these other things. Didn't make sense, but he understood me. You know my innermost being, David writes, right? He knows me better than I know myself. Do you remember after Nathan the prophet came to David after he sinned with Bathsheba and sent her husband to the front lines to be killed? He's a, a murderer and an adulterer, okay? This is David. Nathan the prophet comes to him and speaks to him. And after he speaks to him, David feels the conviction of it. He feels the weight of what he's done, and he goes and writes Psalm 51. It's a direct result of his confrontation with Nathan. And this one phrase in there has always grabbed me. He says, you desire truth in the inward parts. You desire truth in the inward parts. It's not a mental assent to a creed or a statement. It's about understanding what he's saying. And when he speaks to you and the truth on the inside, it starts to resonate. I don't know if this is making sense or not. There's just something about hearing the voice of God that moves us from a place of insignificance because I've got the creator of the universe speaking to me on the inside. Come on, how many want to hear this? Listen, you, let me just demystify it. You can hear. It's just a matter of sitting, setting other things aside and going, I need to start getting rid of those other voices, those things that pull on me. I didn't intend on going into this this hard this morning, but I feel like it's such a timely thing to be able to move into a place where if we hear God, you have your creator, your maker talking to you, and it makes you come alive inside. I'm convinced this is the only way we can move from insignificance into significance because I can't teach you into it. As a matter of fact, my preference for church function would be something like this, where we worship till God just shows up and wrecks the room. And I would much rather teach out of that wreckage than try to teach into it. That puts too much pressure on me. As a matter of fact, I like that because you know that's what happened in Acts chapter 2. They all came together, waited on God. God shows up, wrecks everything. The people on the outside are looking at the people on the inside going, you guys are flat off your gourd. 
to 9 a.m. and you're drunk. That's why Peter had to stand up there and say, they're not drunk like you think they are. Peter taught his way out of the junk, out of the wreck. He didn't teach his way into it. I would much rather have room for God to show up and just wreck us. Come on, are you with me? <sighs> Take a breath, Andrew. I hope you're hearing my heart's desire in this. Everybody in here has significance, but we have got to stop comparing ourselves to somebody who does the same thing we do or does something that we wish we could do. The world will never see the full manifestation of the Godhead if you don't walk in who you are. Because every individual is another facet of the character and nature of God. We're created in his image, but we need to be conformed into the image of Christ, right? Created in the image of God, but we have to be conformed into the image of Christ. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit about the gifts of Jesus. We're going to unpack that a little bit. But in his fullness, in his fullness, everything dwells. He holds it all together. All things created by him, for him, through him, and in him all things exist. So if I don't see the fullness of you coming out, then there's a color there's a manifestation, there's a part of Jesus that I will never get to see. I know I've said this before, but I really like to drive this one home. It used to make me crazy. I didn't understand it back in the day, but it used to make me crazy when I would hear people, especially musicians, singers, whatever, because I am one, would come up on a stage and they'd start to sing. They'd go, I just want to disappear, so all you see is Jesus. And I'm like, come on, you ain't that good. <laughs> you ain't that good that all I'm going to see is Jesus. As a matter of fact, stop saying that because the uniqueness of Jesus comes out in you like in nobody else. So if you're saying you want to disappear, then you're basically saying to me, there's a part of Jesus I don't want you to see. It's false humility. That's what it is. It's false humility. As a matter of fact, Peter tells us, as each one has received a gift, minister it. For in it, the manifold wisdom of God is revealed. The manifold, that word is uh, like variegated, multicolored. That's what it means. If anyone has received a gift from God, then minister it. Don't, be, don't stand up there and say, I hope I just disappear so all you see is Jesus. No, first of all, you're not that good, so stop saying that. Number two, there's something unique about yourself. Even in your inconsistencies and in your places where it's not that great, still Jesus comes out in the middle of it. Are you guys tracking with me? We need to lose this thinking that says somehow I've got to be absolutely perfect. I've got to do it exactly right. I've got to compare myself to this person who does it that good. I need to get as good as them. I'm all about self-improvement. I'm all about it. Even as a musician, I'm constantly looking up things that are going to help me as a musician. And I want to learn and I want to get better. But I can't live with this understanding or this kind of thinking in my mind that says I'm not as good as this person right here. Because if I live like that, you're going to miss out on something. If you live like that, I'm going to miss out on something. Hello? Enemies lying to everybody in the room. And religion is the tool that he uses, I think. He wants you to stay aware of your past so that you stay humble. I don't think that's a good idea. That's not humility. That's actually stupidity. Well, it is. Staying aware of your past and your failures and stuff. We call it just, you want to stay humble. Remember where you came from. Stuff. You know, it's not humility, that's stupidity. Because remember, in redemption, God always restores twice of what you were before. So if I can remember what I was before, then I have to look at that and go, I'm going to be twice that. Yes. So that's what I need to hold on to. 
What does the blood of Jesus do? Somebody? Absolutely washes. It destroys sin and the record of it. It destroys sin and the record of it. And I've talked about this before. These are anchors in my life that I keep having to hold on to. That God only records what's done in repentance. That's a good word right there. Which side of the room do I need to talk to right now? Yeah, over there? Okay. God only records what's done in repentance. I know it's true. It's not just a good saying. Just read Hebrews 11. Gideon is listed in the hall of faith. Gideon. Angel of the Lord shows up in front of him. He recognizes him, goes and makes some food for him, comes back, lays it out, touches it with the staff. It's gone like that. Still, he's questioning, is it God? I'm going to lay out a fleece. And it happens. The fleece is dry, the ground is wet. Well, let me try that again. Does that sound like a man of faith to you? Sarah, does she sound like a woman of faith? God says you're going to have a child. You're 99 years old. God says you're going to have a child. She ends up laughing. By the way, that's what Isaac means, laughter. She ends up laughing. But then you get to Hebrews, and you see Gideon in there. You see Sarah. You see others listed in there. When you know the story of their life, you don't see the places where they fail. All you see is the places where it says God's saying they were a person of faith. Why? Because he only remembers what's done in repentance. I think a lot of times our insignificance is not because of what has happened to us. Our insignificance is because of what we believe about ourselves. If we could just shift, make the shift in understanding that what he says about me is so much more true than what I've ever experienced in my life. That that is the superior reality. That he only remembers what's done in repentance. So if I'm repenting, changing my mind, what the word means, and I start thinking like he thinks, then he's only going to remember, he's only going to call on, he's going, only going to speak to the things that he has already said. This is heaven's desire for your life. I don't think God has a laid out plan for everybody. I do think he has a purpose for everybody. Hello? That's a whole other story. We could go down that road. I think we got a lot of believers trying to find out what is this exact plan for my life, and they want to do this step-for-step thing. I get it. Guides my steps, right? Your lamp's a word into my feet. I get it, all that stuff. But I think there's more of a plan or a purpose for your life than there is a plan for your life. I think people, when they start to move in the direction towards what they think God is calling them, I think they're more effective than when they're sitting there trying to find out what's the next step I take. Wow, that's good. Start moving. You can't steer a parked car. We're sitting there with the car parked, trying to turn the wheel in the direction that we think we're supposed to go in when I really think Holy Spirit's just saying, step on the gas, I'll show you. Step on the gas, I'll show you. If you start going the wrong direction, I'll steer you back. It's all right, just keep listening. It's all right. Is this making sense? But we're so, we're, we're locked up in this paralysis of analysis. We're locked up in this comparison of looking at other people, looking at ourselves. And it's like, when did that ever serve us? When did that ever do us any good? I think the only way the enemy can get to us, though, you ready for some good news? The only way the enemy can get to us, though, is through agreement. 
that when we come into agreement with him, we give him a place of authority in our lives. Because the only thing he can do is lie. He's the originator of lies. That didn't come from God. He's the father of lies, the originator of it. I know we talk about this stuff all the time. I feel there's this, this thing I can't, I won't ever get rid of. I can't get rid of because I really do feel like this. Settled on this. That the war is over. The battle has been won in Jesus. Amen? He has been defeated. Colossians says he's been made a public spectacle. Didn't even know what he was trying to do. He was trying to kill Jesus, not knowing that in killing Jesus, he was going to end up killing himself. His own demise. He didn't know that. So in Jesus, it's all been won. The battle has been won. It's up to us to start believing what he says about us. This is the battle right here. Joyce Meyer, Battlefield on the Mind, right? But credible. Incredible. I think she nailed it. I think she nailed the essence of the Christian walk in that book right there. That we are going to spend the rest of our lives walking in agreement with God or walking in agreement with Satan. And when we walk in agreement with Satan, then we give him power in our lives. We give him the hall pass and say, you can run around in my head. So what do we need to know? Not so much about the devices of the devil, but wait, Paul says that. Don't be ignorant of his devices. Did you know that word there, devices, is actually the word noema? Don't be ignorant of his noema. Don't be ignorant of his thoughts. That's what that word is. Don't be ignorant of his thoughts. Come on. A renewed mind thinks like God thinks. A renewed mind starts thinking like heaven thinks. A renewed mind can hear what's resonating in heaven, can grab a hold of it and say everything else doesn't matter. That doesn't make sense. This is what God is saying. This is, and I don't know about you guys. Have you ever heard truth about something when you were so convinced the other way, but then you hear it and you keep having to remind yourself about it, right? You're so convinced about something that you've got this thing so settled inside of you that when you hear the actual truth and you even understand, yeah, that is true, you still have to keep convincing yourself over and over. Come on, this is the life of us. <laughs> this is who we are. That's why it's important for us to understand this word, to get into it and read it. Start looking at books like Ephesians, which are powerful books that talk about who we are and what we're designed to be. You're created in God for good things. He created good things for you to operate in before you ever got there. Ephesians says, before you ever got there, before he ever made you, he created things for you to walk in. This is destiny. This is design. This is significance. How much does God trust you? How much does he believe in you? He gave you Holy Spirit. What? Yes, he gave you Holy Spirit. This is how much he trusts you, how much he believes in you. He gives you Holy Spirit. Come on, anybody want to start walking in their identity? Anybody want to start walking in a place of significance where they get so confident in what God is saying that they don't have to worry about how they're going to appear? There's this thing that runs rampant in the church, and it is a false humility thing. It's this thing of like, well, I can't be, and I can't. I, I get it, guys. I, under, I, I do. Here's one of my major struggles in my life. Are you ready? I'm just going to be vulnerable and open here. Here's, all right? I am afraid that people are going to put me on a pedestal. I don't want that. God and I have had long conversations about this. I don't want somebody to put me on a pedestal. I remember God having to tell me, it's not your, responsible what they, your responsibility on what they think about you. It's your, responsible, your responsibility to take what I've given you and walk in that, right? 
But we have this thing, it's infected the church, it's called false humility. So much so that when somebody finally does find their significance and their identity and they start walking in it, the church wants to pull them down a notch. How about we just consider that we let other people, what I've heard, here's how I've heard it said most recently, you stay in your lane, I'll stay in my lane. You stay in your lane, I'll stay in my lane. I'm going to operate out of what God's given me. You operate out of what God's given you. And inside of that, the fullness of the Godhead gets revealed. Exodus 19, I'm just referring to these passages here. Exodus 19, 6. God is speaking to the people of Israel. Andy referred to this last week. Speaking to the people of Israel who are coming out of Egypt, and he says, I will make you all priests. I will make you all priests, a kingdom of priests. And we know the story. They didn't want to have anything to do with that. They wanted Moses to be the mediator in between. So God gave them a covenant reflective of that right there. And we have the old covenant all the way through, up through Malachi, to show us exactly what happened because they made that choice. But then we get into the new covenant, and we see in 1 Peter 2 that he calls us as believers. He says, you are a kingdom of priests. You're a kingdom of priests. Did you know that's who you are? You're a kingdom of priests. But it's better than that. He goes on to say you're a royal priesthood. So it's what do priests do? They represent God to man and man to God, right? But this is a royal priesthood. Now, priesthood. now you've got a kingdom involved. Now you've got a king involved in, in it. It's much better than you think. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. So what do we do about it? If I'm going to walk in significance, I'm going to give us one thing just to start with. When we come together on a Sunday morning, we worship, right? Let's ask ourselves how much we value that. Seriously. Is it a precursor to the message? Is it a warm-up? I don't believe that. I've said this from the beginning, even when we were meeting in our house. Worship is the primary thing. This is what we do. This is what we do. The word tells us that we are to bring a sacrifice to him, right? We see from old covenant pictures that any time a sacrifice is brought to God and it's acceptable, fire falls on it. So if fire's not falling on your life, we have to question our sacrifice. It says to bring the sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of our lips. That's Hebrews. Bring the sacrifice of praise. So what is that? How many in here, if we're being honest, you don't need to raise your hand. You don't like to sing out loud because you're afraid of what somebody might hear you. Or you don't want to shout because you're afraid somebody might hear you. You're afraid that somebody might be like, oh, that's not right. That's not proper in church. But he says bring the sacrifice of praise Praise is the fruit of our lips. It has to come out of your mouth. You can't praise God in your heart. It's impossible. It has to come out of your mouth. But there's a sacrifice in that. There's a sacrifice in shouting to God. There's a sacrifice in singing with all your heart and with all your might because we're afraid of the six square feet around us. That's difficult enough. But there's another sacrifice, he says, to bring. In Romans chapter 12, he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. 
Because this is your reasonable act of worship. This is your reasonable act of service. What am I saying? If we're going to move from a place of insignificance into significance, I want to give you this one thing. It's not a three-point sermon. It's a one-point sermon. One thing, worship. Worship. Extravagant, sacrificial worship. You remember when Peter was asked the question, who do people say that I am? Oh, you're John the Baptist. Oh, you're a prophet. And then Jesus gets a little more specific and he goes, but who do you say that I am? And Peter replies and goes, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And just a moment later, Jesus turns and looks at Peter and says, I don't call you Simon anymore. I call you Peter, rock, Petra. And on this rock, I'll build my church on this revelation of you saying that I'm the Christ. In other words, here's the thing. When we start calling God for who he is, he starts calling us for who we are. This is what worship is about. It's about praise. It's about thanksgiving. It's about sacrifice. It's about delivering ourselves up to, I don't know about you, but I've, as a pastor, I guess it's okay to say this, I've come into worship before and I don't want to be there because of what's going on in my own life, right? I'm not the only one. Please tell me that. I need a little somebody to back me up here. Okay. All right. Honest truth, we need people running in here first thing in the morning. Because there's a recognition that I need this. I need this right now. I don't worship God because he needs it. I worship God because I do. He's not weak. He's pretty self-sufficient and he can stand on his own. He doesn't need my worship to bolster him up. We're told to worship. We're told to bring the sacrifice because every time we do that, we're unloading something else. We're just unloading something of insignificance that we keep holding on to that keeps us from operating in a place of significance. And I don't know what it looks like for you, guys. I really don't. I can't sit here and say, this is what your life is, and this is why I can't say that. But I can say this, that if each of us were to come to a place where we start living in a place of I am significant in who I am, regardless of what my platform is, regardless of what my YouTube, how many subscribers I have on my YouTube or how many followers I have on Instagram or Twitter, that I have a place of significance and my significance could be that the children that God has given me in my life, that these are going to be the ones that become these crazy out there kind of world changers. Are you okay with that? Are you okay with that? But the only way that's going to happen for them is if you become settled and confident and then this is my place right here. This is who I am. Is this helping this morning? Why? I want people to find their identity. We have got to move. This is, I don't do this. I don't come in here every Sunday morning so we can worship and so we can preach a message and do this woohoo thing together so we can have a little community. That is not what drives me. What drives me is a vision to see people transformed, walking in their identity, finding out who they are and recognizing that, man, when I walk like this, the world changes around me. It's an old pattern that I think is coming to an end. This platform ministry where it's all about the person on the platform, it's coming to an end. If it hasn't ended already. I'm hoping this is encouraging to you. We've got to just quit compartmentalizing this life of Christianity. How many in here, let me ask the question, how many in here are ministers of the gospel? 
Good, you're getting it. I'm going to ask it again. How many in here are ministers of the gospel? Yes, I'm looking to see if you're not raising your hand. How many in here are ministers of the gospel? Yep, everybody in here. You are. You are. We're the ones that have turned it into this building stuff and platform stuff and band stuff. We're the ones that turn it into that. There's something more. There's something greater. What I'm doing this morning is hopefully trying to wake you up. That it's not a striving after something that you've seen in another person. It's not a striving after something you've seen on television or YouTube or Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. Fake book, as we call it. My son had a shirt for a while. You still have that? Fake book. It said fake book. Friends who aren't really friends. It's true. It's true. You follow me on Facebook. I've never seen you before in my life. But I'm like, okay, I'll accept. Friends. But it gets my name out there. Hmm. Everybody stand up here. I'm going to pray for you. Ah, yes, 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 yes. Psalm 22, you are enthroned on the praises of your people. I want you just to start praising God right now. Come on, Jesus, we worship you, God. We praise you, God. Without instruments, without all that, we just praise you, God. We bring you the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips, and we worship you. So you're wonderful and amazing, and only, only you are worthy to be praised. Only you. Only you, God. Yes, Lord, receive the offering. Receive the sacrifice, the fruit of our lips. You are so good, God. Come on, move from your comfort zone. Move outside of it a little bit. Just begin to speak it up. You're enthroned on the praises of your people. Yes, Lord, more than anything, we want that. We want you to be enthroned. Lord, your manifest presence walking in with us, through us. The touchable, tangible presence of God. This is what we want, God, you you, you alone, you are the almighty, the exalted one, high and lifted up, high and lifted up. Lord, we praise you, praise you, praise you. God, you're good. You're so good. You're so good. All you do is good, God. We worship you, God. Yes, Lord Jesus, we say yes to you, all that you've said. Lord, I want my mind to line up with all that you've said. We say yes to you, Lord God. Yes to you, yes to you, yes to you. We present our bodies as living sacrifices to you, God. Everything about me is yours. Come on, can you say that? Everything about me is yours. It belongs to you, God. It belongs to you. It belongs to you, God. Everything belongs to you. Yes, Jesus. Yes, yes, yes to you. Lord, even to the things that I don't understand, I'll say yes to you anyway because I trust you. I trust you, Lord God. 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 Oh, yes, 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 God. Pray we all learn how to be settled in our own skin, that we learn how to be settled in our own person and who you've created us to be. Nor, Lord, not, not settled in the things that are incomplete, but settled in the things that you've spoken that, so that we move into being conformed into your image, Jesus, that we look more like you, that we start to represent you accurately. The words that we say, the actions, everything that we do, what comes out of our mouth, Lord, begins to represent you accurately.
You're so good, God. Tell him he's good. You're so good. You're so good, God. You're so good. Yes, the cross accomplished everything. It's finished. It's finished. Lord, show me more. Show me more. Show me more. This thing of worship, do you feel it just doing that right there, how good that feels? There's something so pure and raw about that right there. It doesn't have to have a band behind it. It just, I'm all for it. I mean, we're supposed to do this. It's all part of, but there's something about moving into that place where we can do it without all those things helping us. John 4, Jesus has that encounter with that woman at the well. It's a powerful story. You guys know that. The, the symbolism, though, the imagery that's used in that is absolutely amazing. Jesus meeting this Samaritan woman at the well. The Samaritans were like half-breeds. Jews didn't want to have anything to do with them. Nobody really wanted to have anything to do with them. They were like half-breeds. And so here's Jesus saying, I need to go through Samaria. The word says that he needed to go through Samaria, which is weird because geographically he didn't need to go there. He needed to go there because there was an unction from Holy Spirit. And it's a Samaritan because it's someone who's outside the camp. He wants to grab the one outside and bring it in. It's a Samaritan woman because at the well, that was the place you would go to meet your spouse. And even this spouse had five husbands. And he says to her, even the one you have right now is not your husband. What was he saying? The imagery there is beautiful. It's him calling out. It's him saying, I'm coming directly to you to grab you and propose to you and say that that's not your husband. I'm your husband. He goes on to say to her that, you know, she's questioning how worship's supposed to happen and what it's supposed to look like. And he said, no, real worshipers, they worship in spirit and truth. See, God's ultimately not looking for worship as an event. He's looking for worshipers as a heart position. There are those who will worship in spirit and in truth. In other words, it's not an event. It's not just this when we come into this room. It's an attitude and a position of the heart that just lives with this constant worship towards him. And inside of that, he begins to speak to us. We understand who our identity is and the insignificant things fade away and we start walking in a place of significance. Is that helpful? If I would have said that from the beginning, it probably would have saved me all that time. <laughs> Lord, I'm just praying blessings and absolute revelation over the church, Lord God, to begin to walk in a place of significance. There is no such thing as insignificance in the body of Christ. There is no such thing. There is no such thing as a misfit in the body of Christ. There's only people who have missed their fit. <laughs> yeah, God, let's move into that. Where do we fit and what does it look like, Lord? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Teams be up here to come pray. If you guys need anything, we got prayer teams up here for you. We pray blessings on you all. Thank you for listening to the Acts 2 podcast. Love God, love people, and live life.